Stephen, Shanta. Thank you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Chapter 25. Beginning in verse 21, we read, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were two twins in her womb. The first came out red and like the, a hairy garment all over. So she called his name Esau. After this, his brother came out, and his hands took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, and we bless you for all that you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We are continuing our series of messages entitled, um, Fix Me, I'm Broken. Fix Me, I'm Broken. Last week, we understood from the Word of God that even though we're broken and we need to be fixed, we hide it well. Today, I want to talk about another aspect that can leave us in a broken state. I want to share a story that this is actually a true account. It's about a young man who heard about his father's death while living in another city. And when the reality of his father's death settled in his spirit, he began to reminisce about the strained relationship between him and his father. He never felt totally accepted or loved like the other children by the man he called dad. He felt tolerated and like a visitor more than a family member. As he packed his bags to travel to the funeral, he had mixed emotions. He didn't really know how to feel about the man who never allowed him to embrace him with emotional closeness. On the day of the funeral service, he was introduced to a man he had never met. There's something strange about this stranger. There was a striking, striking resemblance between him and the man that he had never met. It was his father's brother who had never visited during his father's life. 
And Aunt whispered in his ear, and she said, he's your real father. Now it all started to make sense. My real father was my father's husband's brother. I was conceived after they were married. You get it. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to explain it. She had an affair with her husband's brother, and a child was conceived, but the knowledge of that information was concealed. All right. Everybody knew that my real father wasn't the man I called daddy, but nobody told me until that day of the funeral for the man that I thought was my father. So here he is. He's at the funeral made his way, didn't know how to feel about it because he was always kind of on the outside. Dad seemed to have an attitude. And when he should have been grieving the man who had provided for him, an aunt whispers and says, the man I just introduced to you, he's your real father. For all the years of his life, he had wondered why he was treated so differently. Not one person dared to share the secret after learning that his mother had had her husband's brother's child, the shame of the secret sin demanded silence. So now he knows, but he can't say anything. <laughs> He's at the funeral and his heart is broken, but he can't cry because he should be celebrating, but he can't celebrate because the, to celebrate means that you got to reveal the family secret. That's what family secrets do. They hold you captive to the past because of fear and shame. The truth that should set you free remains hidden because it's too embarrassing to admit or share. I don't know how many secrets my mother carried to her grave or the relatives that knew about the secrets and the secrets she knew. Because when I was growing up, you didn't ask questions. Not unless you wanted a new address. <laughs> and I didn't mean that you'd have to move, but you would be physically dislocated from your current settled position by a physical force being propelled from the hand of your parent. There is an elephant in the room that is called family secrets. The elephant is in the room that the elephant in the room could be a person that abused you. You sitting right in the room with them, you know what happened. Family members knew what happened. And we just eating chicken and, and, and ribs, and you seeing this person violated you. Could be a parent who was an alcoholic, a, an, abu a, a, an abusive spouse, praising Jesus, stretched out on the altar on Sunday morning, go home and beat you into submission. It could be a sister or a brother who committed suicide. Nobody talks about that. Or some ho other horrible crime that never is brought to the light. 
but it's an elephant in the room. Your elephant can be fear, unforgiveness, or even a tragic event that you witnessed or were told about. Everybody in the family knew the secret except for, for those that are placed on the do not tell list. And that's the part that crushes you, that when you find out the secret, it wasn't really a secret except you never got on the list. But the secret was about you. In order, in order to maintain family secrets that can have generational consequences, family and friends learn to avoid the elephant in the room. You step around it. You don't confront it. You don't talk about it. If you get close to it, you change the subject. So you learn how to maneuver around the elephant in the room. As long as we ignore and pretend that there's no elephant in the room, you will remain broken. Now, I know... And I'm, I'm praying, and I believe I've been, I have been under severe spiritual attack this week. But this is a message that somebody needs to hear, but it's, it's very delicate. And so I'm asking that you would pray for me as we go through this, because what happens is those areas that are family secrets, where we are told that what happens in our house that stays in our house. And our house was Emeryville. <laughs> It was Friday the 13th and 14th. You don't have to wait for Halloween. Just go into the recesses of your memory. And so those are things that what happens when the word of God comes against those experiences, the enemy erects defenses. And he'll tell you he's talking about me, somebody this, that, or whatever. So I'm asking that you would pray me through this. And that as we go through this tough series of brokenness that has affected so many of us, including myself, that we will be receptive to what the Lord has to say. You perpetuate your suppressed pain, distrust, and true liberty in Christ as long as you ignore or don't address family secrets that continue to cause you pain in the present. It's affecting your marriage. It affects every relationship that you have. It affects your ability to trust. It affects your ability to be committed. So I want you to tell somebody you will remain broken. And let's try that again. You will remain broken, you will remain broken. Until, until you deal, deal with the elephant in the room. So I'm going to give you four things that I'm going to kind of walk through that I want you to write down, and I'm just going to go through it, and hopefully it all falls in place. And if it starts getting hot in here, that means we need to adjust the air again. Okay. First of all, family secrets that cripple you can be generational. So what affects you, the devil wants to transfer it to the second and third generation. So if it's bothering you and you haven't dealt with it, it will catch, your children will catch the same cold. Secondly, family secrets influence how you handle life situations, how you handle serious matters. The way you look at the world will be colored through those hurts, that brokenness. 
And if you don't deal with it, you're going, your view will be distorted. You will see what is not there. You will interpret things incorrectly. You will interpret in light of your pain, not in light of the reality of what actually is occurring. Thirdly, family secrets have consequences. They have consequences. And finally, family secrets must be dealt with. They must be dealt with. Say, they must be dealt with. Amen. First and foremost, family secrets that hurt you, that cripple you, have gen can be generational. In Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 through 20, it's a really interesting passage in the Word of God. It's almost like it doesn't really fit with what has gone on in the previous chapter, chapter 24 and then chapter 25. It's almost like Abraham, who's already deceased, is re-entered into the narrative. And so what God does in the book of Genesis, which is a book of beginnings, but it is also a biographical book. It is about individuals. It starts with Abraham. It starts with Adam. From Adam, it goes to Seth. From Seth, it goes to Enoch. From Enoch, it goes to Noah. From Noah, it goes to Abraham. From Abraham, it goes to Isaac. From Isaac, it goes to Jacob. And from Jacob, and so and so on and so forth. So and then and then Joseph. So you got these major characters. And so the way the Lord introduces the character to shift our focus from whoever the attention was being directed to in the previous chapters, he gives us a series of summaries, and I want to talk about that as we consider the fact that family secrets cripple, can cripple generations, that it is affecting you and cripple generations. So let me read the verse. It says, this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's who? Son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, an Assyrian of Padamaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And what we discover is that past, your, the past should not be ignored because it impacts your present and your future. It impacts your present and your future. Now, so... What we have at the beginning of the chapter, verses 1 through 11, is the obituary of the patriarch of the faith, the father of the faith. We're given the life summary of Abraham. And following a synopsis by way of what we would call an obituary, the Lord gives another obituary of a person who's still living in the present, but God presents Ishmael as if he's already dead, and the reason that's true in this narrative is because God is not focusing the attention going forward in the story based on the promise he made to Abraham on Ishmael, who was the illegitimate child, but the focus is now going to be shifted from Abraham to Isaac. And so God doesn't just altogether exclude Ishmael because he is a descendant of Abraham, but we're given his obituary as well. Somebody say amen. We're going somewhere. And following the, uh, the obituary of, of these two men, God introduces Isaac, which means laughter, which means laughter. 
And so what we discover about not ignoring our past because it can impact our present and future is that Abraham represents the past, a link in the family chain. Ishmael and Isaac represent the present. Ishmael's obituary is recorded, but the brother's still alive. When Isaac gets married, Ishmael is still alive. He, uh, Isaac, Ishmael lived to 137, and uh, I, Isaac just lived forever. I think he was 120 when he finally, finally died. But there was a 13-year age difference. And so Abraham represents the past. Ishmael and Isaac represent the present. But the interesting thing, it says this is the family tree or the genealogy of Isaac and Ishmael. That means they're children's children's children. So the link... Abraham in the past is connected to the present because he fathered Ishmael and Isaac, and Isaac and Ishmael had children, another link in the chain. So even though Abraham is dead, Ishmael and Isaac are still alive, and they're having children. The present is connected to the past, and the past is, and the present is also connected to the future. It's, your family is a link in the chain. It's, a, it's an extended link, even though you may not see it you are connected to a link. And when you marry somebody, you're marrying the link. You're marrying that whole chain. And that chain is no stronger than its weakest link. So if you ignore the, the weakness in the link, you will have that as a part of your marital experience. Are you still with me? Your past matters to God and to others. God keeps records of your past because of how your past will impact your present. And if you don't address what has happened to you in the past, if you keep it as a skeleton in the closet or, or, or the elephant in the room that you ignore, never confront, you definitely are spreading it forward to your future generations. I've already said it's like a link in the chain, and that's why we must deal. You got to deal. You got to deal. You got to deal with your Abraham. you got to deal with your Abraham. You become supernaturally linked to another person and their family through marriage. In verse 24 of chapter 2 in Genesis, the Bible says, that is why a man must leave his father and his mother and unite himself to his wife, and the two, you become one flesh. And so whatever that one flesh has as a part of his or her experience, they're bringing that into the union that is formed when you get married. So you may not want to have anything to do with your husband's future husband's family, and he may not want to have, we're just going to get married. No, you link to that because the two become one flesh, and the one flesh predated them through the parents that God gave them. Whatever you do, whatever you don't deal with before you say, I do, you bring it with you, so young people saying, well, that's why I don't ever plan to get married. We'll just keep it simple by living together. Tell somebody bed bugs don't read. If you have them, they will follow you with or without a marriage certificate. So whatever bugs you come, whatever past experiences, negative or positive that you can call those bed bugs. They don't read. 
They don't care about whether you have a marriage certificate, or are you legit or unlegit. You bringing that stuff into whatever relationship you're calling a monogamous relationship. Your past baggage doesn't care where you travel. What is on the inside is permanent wear. It's, you, you carry your baggage with you. It's not a physical, but it's, in terms of your experience, it's actually a part of you. You've got to wash your dirty laundry. You must deal with the elephants in your life. We learn how to keep secrets from people, from the people we trust. We learn how to hide things. We learn how to communicate non-verbally in the room, and you're having a conversation, and nobody else knows what you're really talking about, but you know the wink, you know the hand gesture, you know the, you know the, the shoulder uh, nudge, and so forth, and they have this conversation about do you see him over there? Yep, I know he's in the room. He know he ain't supposed to be in here. He ain't nothing but trouble, always been trouble. I wish he would go somewhere and disappear, but here he is. The life of the party. Now you've got a second generation of girls that this person who has affected in your past is still in a position because he's never been exposed or she's never been exposed to, to, to harm your children in the present and ultimately through you, your, their children. And so you need, we learn how to keep these secrets. So uh, this, when he said this is the genealogy of Isaac and uh, Isaac, Abraham's son, uh, Rebecca was the daughter of a man named Bethuel, and she was the sister of a man named Laban. And we meet him again uh, when uh, Jacob is fleeing for his life. Where Re Rebecca learned how to conceal things is from her father, her mother, and the family that she came from. And Isaac learned, too, how to lie, how to say that his sister was his wife when it came to protecting himself, that what mattered most to him is not his wife but himself, because his daddy did the same thing. But no one ever really addressed it but the Lord. But stay with me. Rebecca came from a family of secret keepers. Bethuel had the title of father. Here's the secret number one. Bethuel, he had the title of daddy a man of the house, the big boss, the, 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 the breadwinner, but he didn't wear no pants. His son, Laban, and through his mother, they made the decisions in that house. And when you get an opportunity, and this is really important, because if a part of your family's secret is that women were dominant and men were passive, men got a pass. Men didn't have to go to school and be serious and and, and, and get a full education. The, 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 the women hid the brothers behind their skirts, and then they made excuses for them. And if they had problems in their relationships with the women that they impregnated, they could always go home. Mama had a house for them, a place for them. But if the daughter ever got pregnant, you, you better not even look halfway like you want to come back home. And so the first secret is that Isaac married a woman who came out of a family where men were passive, where men did not operate in the authority that God intended for a man to have in his family. 
Bethel was not the covering of his home. Somehow, that was deferred to Laban, who was a trickster, dishonest, a con man. And you got to read the story when you get a chance, starting in chapter 24. We don't have time to go through all of it, but extending through uh, chapter 32, that Laban uh, was, was really the decision maker with his mother's permission. Now, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man. Now, this is when Isaac ends up marrying uh, is introduced to Rebecca for the first time. And so she is an answer to prayer. And the things that she does indicates to Abraham's servant that this, in fact, is the woman that Isaac should marry. He did not want Isaac, Abraham did not want Isaac to marry and be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. So God set it up so that the first woman that he actually meets is a believer. And so what he does when she fulfills what he's been praying for, he breaks out the jewelry, he breaks out a, a nose brace. I mean, he starts, Abraham was rich, the boy was loaded. And so his servant, who was looking for the wife for his son, Isaac, just starts to lavish this woman all of the, so she goes home with all this jewelry, and Laban, her brother, said, whoa, where did all this come from? And then she begins to tell the story about these visitors, and so Laban, not Bethuel, the father, Laban goes to where these visitors are. And he begins to say, why are you guys standing out? Come on home, we've already prepared. He hasn't conferred with his father. He's already set this thing up. And then when they get there, the man, uh, the servant of Abraham says, I'm here on a mission. I'm looking for a wife. And your, your, your daughter, your sister, whoever she is, she seems to be the answer to God's prayer for my master Abraham, who's dying, who's old. And so he tells her the story. And then Bethel and Laban say, hmm, I think this is of the Lord. Now, here's the interesting thing. Men that are passive and not actually giving headship to their home, they may be very biblically knowledgeable. They may, like Bethel and Laban said, they said, this is of the Lord. <laughs> they use spiritual terminology. But he didn't operate in his authority. Now, I know that I'm not, uh, not going to have time to read all the verses, but this is uh, in chapter 24, uh, beginning in verse 29, and it goes through the end of the chapter. And so after Bethel, Bethel makes his original statement, the next time you hear a conversation going on between the servant of Abraham's and, and the, 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 the family of, of Rebekah, it's Laban and the mother talking. And then the Bible says, then they bestowed upon Laban and his mother all kinds of gifts. Father's nowhere in the, in the, in the conversation. When, when Rebekah is given permission to leave, the father is nowhere in the, in, in, the, in the conversation. It's Laban and his mother that are releasing their sister to Isaac. So secret number one. The girl that you consider to marry, you need to find out who really was the covering for her at home. Because if that is something that was never divulged or even understood, that is God's divine design for the man to be the vision caster, the protector, and the provider of the primary protective home. If she doesn't understand that, and a part of the elephant in the room for her is that women are in charge, and brothers, you better get out the way, she's bringing that baggage into that marriage. And you will have hell to pay. Now, here's the second secret. 
Secret number two, women in the family were treated like objects rather than valued as equals. Here we call that today double standards, that what men can get away with at home, uh, we wink at with our sons. And when we're calling women all kinds of horrible names, and I, how God dare you, I never raised you to be this immoral, this, and I'm not going to fill in the blank. But what happens is Jacob, years later, comes in contact with this same brother, Laban. And this time, Laban has two daughters. One's name is uh, Rachel, and the other is Leah. And Leah ain't too pretty. She's lacking some, some things. You know, she was, you know, the Bible, somebody said, not the Bible, but someone said, beauty is only skin deep, but ugly is to the bone. They actually said she had weak eyes. That was a, she looked weird. Something was, something was not right. Because the contrast is while Leah looked uh, odd and different, the contrast was, but Rachel was beautiful. And so Jacob fell in love with with Rachel, and he agreed with Laban. He said, I'll work seven years for you to give me your daughter Rachel's hand in marriage. Seven years was just like one day. That's how much he loved that girl. It's amazing how when you're courting somebody, you can stay up all night, never get sleepy. You can drive 100 miles, and it only seems like one mile. And then you get married, and they say, go downstairs, and it's a fight. So finally, the big day came, the wedding ceremony, the face is covered, and uh, now Jacob is uh, waiting for his bride, wants to consummate the marriage, and I, back then they didn't have the, the, the benefit of fluorescent lights and so forth, so he just went to, he, he just, uh, in the darkness, in the euphoria, maybe had a drink or two too many, and uh, what he did not know is that instead of getting Rachel, Laban slipped Leah in. And so the woman he actually slept with was the woman he despised. The Bible said he actually hated her, but Laban didn't care how Jacob felt about his daughter because he was just looking at it, his daughter as, a, as an object. He didn't consider her how this would affect her as a person. He married her to a man that hated her. And the only time she felt worth something was when she was pregnant by Jacob. And so one of the, another secret in that family is women are not equal to men. And there are men that you may marry who don't see you as a person, as an individual, as, a per as someone who has a voice, who has a brain, who can make decisions, who has skills, who has gifts. And I don't care how many degrees you have, you're just a woman. I don't care how, far, how much money you make, you're just a woman. You always want to be a woman. And a woman, some, like the Pharisees, to pray, Lord, I thank you that I was not born a woman. That, that was an actual prayer that the, the religious leaders would pray. And so family secret number, you need to know how the man that you're considering marrying, how does he think about women? Does he respect your input? <laughs> Can you really be your own self, or do you have to become everything that he has defined for you as acceptable in order for you to be accepted by him? Are you genuinely accepted? Secret number two, women in the family were just objects not valued as equals. Here's another secret. 
Women, secret number three, women learn to keep family secrets to protect the people that hurt them. I want you to understand, when Leah went into that room and pretended that she was Rachel, she was a part of the, of the conspiracy. She was a part of the secret. She could have said something. She could have done something. But instead, she participated in it and never complained about it. And so secret number three is that sometimes women protect the people that hurt them because women are supposed to grin and bear it. You're going to be all right with that. You'll get over it. It'll be all right. Sometimes you become an accomplice to the crime that was committed on you because you haven't stood up to say, this isn't right. I'm not participating in it. No, your boss is on the phone. I'm not going to say that you're not here, that you're sick. You're not sick. You're well. You talk on the phone. I'm not talking to another bill collector for you. You answer the phone and you deal with what, what needs to be dealt with. Secret number three is women learn to keep family secrets to protect the people that hurt them. While you're falling apart on the inside, while you're feeling re-victimized every time you're in the presence of the person who hurt you, but you dare not speak out against it. Now, Isaac came from a family of secrets as well. He came from a broken home. He was a part of a blended family that never blended. This was the first family feud. You go to Genesis chapter 16, when Sarah said, we've been waiting a long time to have children. I'm 65, you 75. My plumbing has shut down. I'm past menopause. I'm not going to be able to bear any children. So obviously, when God said that you would have a child, Abraham, he meant through another means. So here's a suggestion. Let's help God out. Let's create our version of a Bible. See this fine black uh, Egyptian woman, Hagar, my hand servant. Why don't you just sacrifice and make a real commitment and do something I know you would never want to do, Abraham? Why don't you go and have sex with her? And when she has a child, she'll be the surrogate mother. And through her, I'll have a child. And so Abraham said, let's pray about this. I don't know if this is the will of God. No, he didn't hesitate. He said, I think that's a great idea, hon. And he ended up impregnating Hagar. And here's the broken family part of it. Hagar and Ishmael, the illegitimate child, not the child of promise, Abraham ended up having to kick them out. And now you've got a broken, you got a separated family because Abraham and Sarah did not obey God. And so Isaac comes from a broken family. Anybody know anything about a broken family? Anybody know anything about the trouble of blended families? Anybody know anything about biological families that fight like, like King Kong and Mighty Joe Young? And so your background matters. You are a link in the chain. You can ignore it, but that doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It doesn't have an impact on your, your current situation. Family secrets influence how you, make, you handle serious situations. Going back to uh, Genesis chapter 24, it says, The Lord answered his prayer. This is uh, going back to 25, uh, verse um, 
21, when Rebekah could not have a child, the Bible says that Isaac prayed to God and God said yes. And so let me, let me continue to read. The baby, uh, the, Bible, the Bible said the baby was jostled within her, and, and, and she said, why is this happening to me? And so, again, at the end, it's the, uh, the Lord, she inquired of the Lord, she prayed, and the Lord answered, and he, he gave insight into why she's pregnant. Uh, this is before uh, sonograms. This is before birth announcements. This is before you determine the sex of the baby. God said, this is what's happening. So God revealed that. Now, what was Rebecca's conflict? Well, for 20 years of their marriage, she couldn't get pregnant. That's a problem. And so for, for, and for, for ladies that are desirous of having children and you're not married, that's one of the things that for many women is very important. But for 20 years, they're married and they're unable to have kids. Isaac was uh, 40 years old, and it wasn't until the age of 60 that I don't know if he prayed for all that time, but it maybe got, finally got so desperate that he actually prayed and God answered. And at the age of 60, his wife became pregnant. Uh, she, here's another part of the conflict. She had to deal with the social, emotional, and spiritual pain. It was believed that a woman who was barren was cursed by God. So if you couldn't have a baby, you were cursed. God was angry with you. You were being punished. There's some sin in your life. It was, uh, women that were unable to have children were also viewed as less than women. You can't have a baby. One of the big things now, you ask, well, what, how did you have a baby? There was natural birth, but the very, what is it? Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, and, and so, so women have to say, oh, I had natural birth, et cetera. So even that becomes kind of like a way, a badge of honor. You know, real women have natural birth and others don't. And so she had to deal with that conflict, the, the social pressure, the emotional pressure, the spiritual. Is God really mad at me? Why can't I get pregnant? Why can't I have a child? How could I be married to a man I love for 20 years and not be blessed with a child? She had to deal with the difficulties of pregnancy. She had a difficult pregnancy. The Bible said that the baby's jostled in her stomach. Now, notice how she dealt with the conflict. The, the, your background will influence the elephants in your closet, the elephants that you don't deal with will influence how you deal with serious problems. The first thing she did, the Bible says, she prayed. That was a good thing. Isaac prayed. That was a great thing. Wouldn't it be nice if, they, if that was all that was involved and how they responded? But here's three other things that, that were crucial to how she responded. Three things about Rachel's resp Rebecca's response. First of all, the, the prayer that she prayed to God, God answered it, and the answer was personal. God told her in private what was going on inside of her. It was also prophetic. God said, what is going on inside of you involves nations. It involves two separate people groups. It involves one being stronger and one being weak. So not only was this revelation personal, but it was prophetic. It was going to be generational. It was also practical. God gave her revelation in private, but he didn't tell her not to tell it. It wasn't supposed to be a secret, but there's no record in all of Scripture where once God told Rebecca what was going on, she never told her husband and she never told her sons that something very unusual was going to occur, that the youngest son was going to be stronger than the oldest son, and that the youngest son was going to get the birthright and, and, and the blessing, that wasn't normal. But if she, if she chose not to tell. She kept it a secret. Now, here's the question. Why does she keep something so important a secret? 
We're not told exactly why, why, but when we get to heaven, we can have a, a conversation with Rebecca. Why didn't you tell your husband? <laughs> and why didn't you tell these boys that ended up hating each other because they're competing over the blessing, they're competing over the birthright, but if you had told them what God told you, then they would have been prepared. You could have been teaching them that, teaching them that all their life. Your husband and you could have been on one accord the entire time, but she chose not to. Let me suggest why I think she may not have told him. She didn't tell Isaac because she didn't think he would believe her. She had come from a family that weren't, women weren't valued. Their word didn't have the same authority. So she may have thought, why should I tell him? He's not going to believe me anyway. Some women actually take that position. They don't tell their husbands anything. Men can't handle nothing. And you done went and made a separate loan. You done entered into a, a private alliance with your child. You know, you're paying their mortgage. You're paying their rent. And your husband and you, the money's coming out of both of your accounts, but your husband has no idea until something goes wrong. And then you can't tell him. Well, here's another reason then. Of course, nobody in this church would ever do that. Uh, she didn't think that Isaac would handle it right. And again, he's going to get angry. He's going to blow a stack. He's going to go down there and do something. God forbid if somebody does something. She thought that he could, she could handle it on her own. There's some things that God will tell you in the spirit realm that is prophetic, that's going to infect, impact generations, that he never intended for you to conceal it. He intended for you to share it with your spouse or with your family. So sometimes the best they can do is enter into prayer with you about it. It's not for you to try to handle this on your own. She figured, I can deal with this on my own. But here's the main reason why she didn't tell her husband. She had no idea of the generational consequences keeping her secret would cause. Sometimes the things that you are hiding, the things that you won't deal with, the things that you, you think, it's, everybody can see it's affecting you, but you never tell about it. You never come clean with it. It's impacting not only you, but everybody else around you. If she had any idea of the, the impact that her concealing what shouldn't have been secret was going to have on her family, I don't believe that Rebecca would have hit it. I don't believe it. Let me share some consequences when family secrets are kept that shouldn't be kept. The Bible says that the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man, an op a man who enjoyed the open country. While Jacob was domestic, uh, domesticated, he was content to stay at home in tents. And here's what the Bible says. And Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, he loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So you got two kids, two twins from the same parents. One parent favors one son, and the other parent favors the other son. So you have, as a consequence of keeping secrets, you have division in the home. The Bible says a house that is divided. If you allow your children to split you and your husband in your home, then Satan is in charge. Because that's not God's order. And so one of the consequences is now instead of you having unity in your home, instead of the Holy Spirit having his freedom to reign in your home, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, you can't really operate in liberty because there is God, God is not the author of confusion. Here's the second. Manipulation was in that home. Some of the greatest manipulators, we, they've learned at our feet, they've learned how to pretend to smile in your face while at the same time stabbing you in the back, saying one thing but intending another thing. 
And so what Jacob did, when he knew his brother Esau was hungry, he knew his brother's tendency, and he cooked some soup, and it was smelling real good. And his brother said, I'm hungry. Please feed me. He said, well, if you give me your birthright, I'll give you a bowl of soup. And Esau, in his immaturity and uh, petulance, he said, I'll give you my birthright. And so that was manipulation. So we learn one of the consequences is that we teach our children how to be manipulators. There's also deception. Deception was in the house. Rebecca and Isaac conceived a plan. Um, Isaac thought he was dying. He said, I'm about to die. I'm going to pass the blessing. Uh, he said, Esau, go get me my favorite meal. Esau goes out to hunt for the favorite meal. And Rebecca overhears what Isaac is saying. She calls her favorite son, the one she loves. She calls Jacob in, and she says, your dad's about to bless to give the birthright to your oldest brother. Let's, let's, let's figure out a way to deceive your father. And Jacob says, no, my, my brother's hairy. I'm not. My dad will know the difference between them. She said, if, if, if your dad finds out, let the curse be on me. She actually loved her son more than she loved her husband. She actually put her will and plan for the future of that family above God's will and plan. So there was deception in the house, and there was also devastation. When, 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 Is, when Is, uh, Esau came back and he realized that his father had already bestowed the blessing upon his younger brother, and his father said, it's irreversible. I can't give you the blessing of the firstborn because I've already given it to your brother who, with your mother's help, has deceived me. And the Bible says that Esau cried, and he begged his father. He says, bless me, please. Bless me, even me. I want you to know that cry of desperation. When you are desperate, you'll do anything to get a blessing. When you haven't gotten the blessing of your father, or in this case, the father's blessing, or if your mother was absent or you were abandoned and that, that love was not conferred to you through that personal bonding, what happens is there's a yearning in our hearts that causes us to need that affection, that attention, and sometimes, no matter how many men, how many women, whatever your experiences is, no one can fill that void that mom and dad didn't fill. That's why we need Jesus. Sometimes the people we love the most are the ones who hurt us the most. Can you imagine living in a home where your mother withheld her love and she put another child above you? Can you imagine the pain and the hurt that's being inflicted upon the child that never knows a mother's love or that son who never knew a father's love because, because uh, Isaac loved Jacob. I loved Esau more than he loved Esau. I want you to understand when you keep secrets, it teaches you to be dishonest and deceptive, and it causes our children and our children's children to learn how to be manipulative. You never walk in total freedom. You're in bondage because the Bible says when the sun sets you free, you're free. But if you hide things that, are, that have devastated you, that have robbed you of your blessing, robbed you of that, that possibility of what God intended for you to have, if you don't address it, God will not be able to open up new doors because you're walking in deception. There's also going to be separation in your home, in your life. The Bible says that Jacob had to flee from his brother's anger 
and his mother who con con conceived this uh, conspiracy against her husband to protect her son, she never saw Jacob again alive. And so it, there are consequences. I don't know how what has happened to you or what you've learned after many years, what the, the erosion, the, the cancer, because it doesn't just go away because you decided to, 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 to uh, turn a deaf ear to it or to turn your eye away from it. It's still there. It's like a summer, simmering volcano that other people, when you're around, you find yourself excessively angry about things that shouldn't even bother you. You're overly sensitive. Somebody touches a subject about abuse or about uh, cheating in a marriage, and all of a sudden you're enraged. And it, it happened maybe in your life to your mother 15, 50 years ago, but you still feel it as if it happened today. I want you to understand the reason why the pain is still real in there is because the elephant has never been dealt with. I don't care how terrible what happened to you was, and I find myself, and I share this on Wednesday night, I'll end up saying something that happened to me as a young man, and tears still come to my eyes. Because the wound that was inflicted may not even have been intentional. It was so deep. It was so hurting. It was so uh, debilitating that even to this day, I walk with a limp. But the, 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 as we're going to see, the, the freedom from that is to acknowledge that it really is causing my life to constantly be in a revolving door. Every time I think I'm moving forward, I haven't gone anywhere. I'm still in the same turmoil because you haven't dealt with the elephant in the room. Let me give you some suggestions on how to overcome the elephants in our secrets. You must deal with them. First of all, you need to refuse to allow your past to keep you in bondage. When you protect those who've hurt you in the past, you're giving them permission to hurt you again and again. They're continuing to victimize you until you make a decision to confront it. Every time you revisit what was done to you, that person is given authority over you again because you have not finally, you need to settle it. Secondly, reveal what needs to be revealed to those who need to, it needs to be revealed. Speak the truth. Sometimes there's things that happen 30 years, you don't need to bring that up. Well, did you know that somebody stuck their foot out and I tripped and I tore my new dress? Okay. There's some things that happened 30 years ago, they're irrelevant. So, if, and then, so you need to decide what is necessary in your life to help you to go forward. Here's one of the things about uh, revealing what you need to reveal is that when you have parents who are old enough to tell you about things that you experience, don't let them take those secrets to the grave. Now, they may choose never to not tell you, but you need to ask about it. And that was, that's the third thing. You need, to, uh, you need to raise questions about family secrets so that you will re avoid repeating it. Yeah. Ask questions. Why did I have so many uncles? <laughs> no, you know, <laughs> uh, who is really my father? And you don't have to be disrespectful. Uh, don't you know I raised you? I brought you into this world. We don't talk. I actually had talked to someone about 
trying to understand my history, my, my background, and the person said, well, I don't, I look forward, I don't look back. That sounded very spiritual, et cetera. <laughs> I get it. But there's a lot of painful things that happened to her. I know why she wouldn't want to look back. Raise the right questions. Re, uh, release those who have hurt you through forgiveness. Once you've addressed it, then you need to forgive what happened to you and who did it. Now, that may mean somebody needs to go to jail, too. But you forgive them when they, while they're in prison. You write them letters if you choose to. But when you forgive somebody, you shouldn't be rehearsing it. That's not forgiveness. That's being vindictive. That's, you know, you get to go down to the, to the dungeon every time you feel like it to pull the skeletons out and, and re, rechain the person. No, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is releasing the person from the debt that they owed you. They really owed you a debt. They really hurt you. They really did it. And it may have been intentional, but God doesn't say, well, you can forgive and not forgive. The Bible commands us to forgive. He said, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. And guess what? Forgiveness is like, you t it's, when you withhold forgiveness, it's like, okay, give me the poison. You take the arsenic and you swallow it, and then you watch the person who hurt you and say, now you die. No, you dying because you took the arsenic. Unforgiveness is like arsenic. It's killing you. It's hurting you. It robs you from the divine blessings. Let me finish. Realize what you hide that you should reveal. It'll hold you captive. It holds you. Oh, there's some things that you need to tell. You need to, you, there's some things that have wounded you. I remember walking into something in the house, my house, something that I shouldn't have seen. And I was like, don't you tell. And the first thing I did when my father came in, guess what I saw? That's <laughs> <laughs> my father. The first thing he did, he punched a hole in the wall. And I said, man, I've never seen no strength like this. This is crazy strength. <laughs> and then, then I became, I, my mother was enraged that I told. I didn't know not to tell. If you don't want your children to talk about what's going, home, going on in your home, you better not do it because they're going to tell. They'll be watching you being handcuffed out of the house. And they'd be crying, why am I going to jail? Because they told what you were doing in the house that you shouldn't have been doing. Finally, reach out for help when the wounds do not heal. Some things that have happened to you, you can't tell anybody without that person being a professional. Because it's, going, it's layers to it. And the longer you delay, the more layers, the more defenses, the more protection is there. And I know I ha there's so much more to a message like this. I just want to kind of throw it out there. The big idea is this. If you have family secrets that are preventing you from becoming and, and passing on to your future, your children, what God intends for them, you need to deal with that elephant. You need to deal with the elephant. Stand with me. You need to deal with the elephant. Here's the amazing thing. When you do, Jacob's brothers threw him in the jail. They thought he, they were, I mean, they sold him into slavery. They got a nice little payday. They thought they were rid of him. And for 15 years, they kept it a secret from their father. They said to, to, to Jacob, your son was murdered by animals. 
There's siblings that haven't spoken 15 years because of some family secret. Their father, the Bible says that he was depressed for 15 years because he thought he lost his son. And then guess what God did? He orchestrated that thing in such a way that Jake, that, that the person that they thought they had destroyed by the secret that they were, were keeping ended up being the one that blessed them. Sometimes God will spare you from what you've been hurt by so that you can bless the people who hurt you for his glory. Because your, your experience is now your testimony. And when you share your testimony, somebody else who has been in bondage and never thought they could get over it or go forward, what you shared with them about what God has comforted and given you strength to overcome, now they feel his strength to overcome it as well. Let's pray. Father, Father.